0: Today's TripCast is presented by Patient Access Texas, working together for a healthy Texas. Learn more at PatientAccessTexas.com.
1: Texas talking, ah, What was that that you said? Texas talking, ah. Gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, Tell me, who can you trust?
0: Hi, this is Congressman Henry Cuellar of Laredo with a special introduction of this week's TripCast from the site of the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. You can hear the energy now. We're looking forward to more unity in the Democratic Party this week than what you'll hear in the next half hour. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in September at this year's Tribune's Festival. For now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw.
2: Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the final week of July. I'm not sure if those were boos or cheers, but they were something in the middle there. Uh, I'm here with CEO Evan Smith.
0: They're not saying boo, they're saying Emily.
2: Oh, right. Is that what they (laughs) were saying? Yes. Uh, reporter, uh, oh, out of order, sorry. Reporter Jim Malowitz. Howdy. <laughs> and editor Amon Batija. I
3: think we could be more unified than the DNC's. <laughs> <laughs> do
2: you think we could be more unified on the Trovecast? Ross isn't here, so that's a step well, in as the long right don't direction. each other. <laughs> Emily
0: or Bust, is that now the new? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll be but... like, I'm just going to do Sarah Silverman the entire time.
3: Let's we... promise not to condemn anyone. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah you, em, you Emily
0: and Bust people, you're being
3: ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. <laughs> uh,
2: that was the highlight of the Democratic Convention for me so Sarah far. Sarah Probably the entire thing, yeah. That's pretty
0: good. Were. Well, no, I know. Al Franken was very funny. It's nice to see him back in that mode
2: again. Yeah, they were just awkwardly standing up there, the two of them. Uh, all right, so Unlike this. This it, is
0: perfectly normal. None of this is awkward Not at all way. awkward, no.
2: Except for the fact that we have a redhead on the trip cast.
0: <laughs> and we're, we have brought an extra in case we—
2: <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, we like, it's like the Castro We've got a spare. You know, if you, if you <laughs> lose one, you've got another one. You can just—
2: That's a reference to e- Bobby Blanchard. In case
0: of emergency break glass. Hashtag gingerbread. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, we're very prideful this morning. Uh, All right. Let's talk about um, uh, how this morning's delegation breakfast went. Haman, can you fill us in? So Bernie Sanders actually spoke to the Texas delegation, and it was a delegation that had been divided just, you know, the morning before, correct?
3: Yes. The morning before, a Bernie delegate went and spoke uh, to the the delegation. And he was, as I understand it, he was supposed to speak about unity, (laughs) but he ended up, doing the opposite and saying that <laughs> he condemns the uh, current par- party's current nominee, which caught, which prompted a bunch of people to get up and yell and boo. Uh, and so was- he basically
2: condemned Hillary Clinton at a yeah. time when they thought he was going to be saying, you know, we're all on the same team here. Right.
3: And then he, um, he he ended up giving in his credentials. I'm unclear exactly whether he was asked for them or he volunteered oh, them. Well, I'm sure
2: he just did it. <laughs> yeah. <them. laughs> here, take my credentials.
3: But he also apologized. uh And uh, so today Bernie came uh, and spoke to the the delegation and they loved him. And it was a overall very positive experience. It seemed like everyone was, I mean, especially now that Hillary's officially got the nomination, I feel like everyone feels much more comfortable with, you know, praising Bernie and praising the movement. Uh, And he spoke about how he's uh, transitioning from a political campaign to, you know, kind of a more long lasting Movement. Movement that will try and work with uh, getting people elected uh, from city council to state legislatures to Congress.
2: Do you think that Bernie Sanders learned a lesson from Ted Cruz? I mean, you know, I guess Ted Cruz had the opportunity to sort of focus on a movement versus, you know, really sort of um, shitting on Donald Donald Trump's party. (laughs) You know, do you think that Bernie took, are there any takeaways from it? Because, you know, Bernie's fans are in a lot of ways more rabid than Ted Cruz's fans. I have a hard
0: time believing that Bernie Sanders was planning to not endorse, or planning to do some version of what Cruz did, up until the point that Cruz ran into the what he ran into, and they said, "Oh no, I better, I better now play, play ball." I, I don't think.
3: I wonder. Yeah, I, don't if, either, but- I wonder if he was actually learning from the Cruz experience. To be worried about what his supporters might do and how that'll look nationally. Right. supporters. That's actually, what I'm talking his about. His
0: supporters yeah. seem more pissed than Cruz's supporters.
2: Oh, do, I mean, they're way right? more pissed, which is absolutely. why I actually think that Bernie may have watched the RNC and thought, you know, God, I, re- I really have to sort of go out of my way to be a team player and to sort of tamp down on some of my people so that you know there isn't a big scene. There,
0: there was a moment, absolutely, over the first 24 hours of that convention where it seemed like he had lost control of his own people.
2: Oh, for he sure, lost
0: control of his own. I mean,
2: the first movie. day was kind of a shit show. I mean, right. I think watching the first day, I, I don't know, I. Thought, oh my God, the Democrats are going to give the Republicans a run for their money and, you know, in the non unity department. Yeah, who can have the crazier convention? Yeah,
3: I mean, the never Trump people were a lot more just.
0: Mellow,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Than the the never Hillary people. This
0: is about the worst presidential election we've ever had, isn't it? I mean,
2: don't you, Evan's sweeping statements. Don't you think, uh, don't you don't think? we have to go back to the beginning so of this?
0: My, my my statements are Trumpian in their sweepingness. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, no, it's terrible. I mean, it's great. Most in the, entertaining. It's great in the sense of popping popcorn and and spectator sport and all that, but both these conventions and both these campaigns and just the whole conversation around electing a president is not going well. As planned. <laughs> and and <laughs> it really, it's just a, it's a terrible moment for for democracy. I just think it's awful.
1: Well, no? maybe it's a great moment for can't democracy. You say, Why? Can't you say that, you know, we've had these streaks of pretty boring presidential um, conventions, it seems like, you know, where there hasn't been... Nearly as much action, and then they were returning no, to that. That's the well, That gets back, it out on the that floor gets back and...
0: to the spectator sport part. I agree with you.
2: The Russians may determine the outcome of this presidential election. <laughs> I mean, this is like unprecedented. It's insane. Oh my God! You, as a news hound, should love it. Humankind might have something else to say about you it.
0: it. I, you know, I, I just, I was thinking that Sarah Silverman, in some ways, had a point because the history of our elections have been that you have a first place finisher and you have a second place finisher. And the people who supported the second-place finisher get on the train. And in, in both these cases, in both these conventions, you've had an awful lot of people who seem to not understand that there has to be one person who wins. And the, the messiness of it doesn't make me feel like this. the rest of this election is going to go particularly well for the country. Well, it kind of feels like back to the 60s and
3: – how conventions went back then or earlier. Just you yeah, know, yeah. There was a big fight until the last minute when you found out who the nominee
0: was. Th- this stuff is serious. I mean, this is where I'm now going to, you know, I'm going to let... Iowa, nice over here. Take my uh, my my drama advocacy b- mantle for a second. I I, I I think that these are very serious issues, and it just seems like we're focused on the wrong stuff. Uh,
2: I my favorite line of the convention, other than Sarah Silverman's line, was uh, the Texas Democratic Party Chairman Gilberto Hinojosa saying, basically after the sort of kerfuffle in the uh, in the Texas delegation breakfast, what you heard was not was what was supposed to be said, <laughs> which is like basically the entire election, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, what else are we seeing from Texans at the DNC? There, you know, I saw we had Eva Longoria. We had uh, the mother of Sandra Bland. We heard from Cecile Richards, uh, who they called Cecil Richards <laughs> yesterday. Uh, what else are we expecting to see from Texans? Cecil
0: may be the nicest thing she's been called
3: ever. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah right. right. She didn't seem to mind too much.
0: Yep. We have Sheila
3: Jackson Lee speaking tonight, and we also have Star Jones, who I just learned got her law degree from the
0: University of Houston. If you don't claim her <laughs> as a Texan, please.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, Joaquin Castro is supposed to speak See, And there's also. That, uh, I, I think that's tomorrow. Isn't
0: mm-hmm. that the news? That's the news. I mean, I think the Joaquin Castro news, the fact that he's holding the door open to challenging Ted Cruz in 2018, is basically the big takeaway from a Texas standpoint in this convention. There's not a whole lot else.
2: All right, so then, I mean, what do you think the likelihood is there, switching gears to that topic?
0: Well, it's apparently not nothing, unless he's just doing a ma- massive head fake. But he has, he has to understand surely, and Democrats have to understand surely that even a weakened Ted Cruz is not a, 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 a likely, it's certainly not off. a layup. It's yeah. a hard, it's a very hard thing for a Democrat in Texas in this era to run successfully in the fall period. Well,
3: so mm-hmm. Our own Abby Livingston did a profile of Joaquin a, couple, a week ago, and he basically said the same thing he said at the convention, but that was before Cruz's, you know, horrible meltdown in the. Uh, RNC. So oh. now that's been...
2: calling it a horrible meltdown. <laughs> Mark that down.
3: Well, yeah. I, I I actually didn't think it was that bad until I read Patrick's story about and edited it, about how um how, how f- there's almost no Texas Republicans, you know, in Cruz's
0: corner at this mm-hmm. point. I was yeah, really but, surprised. And and in that respect, the real conversation around 2018 is not whether Cruz could be beaten in November, but whether he could be beaten in March.
3: That's probably true. Yeah.
0: Right. And you had a couple different people this last week say, well, Rick Perry should run against Ted Cruz mm-hmm. in the primary or so and so. You know, Katrina Pearson should run against Ted Cruz in the primary. And Trump came in after the convention and said, I'm going to I think since the last time we recorded it, oh, I'm going to fund a super PAC to help an opponent of Cruz's. You know, I just think it's a really hard thing to beat an incumbent, even in a circ- circumstance like this. And it's especially hard to beat. A republican with a democrat in is texas this, right
1: now is it any riskier for him to if he does decide to run sooner than later for for him to run maybe get beat really badly and then try to lick his wounds or i mean should it would it be better for him to wait until there's maybe texas maybe looks a little bit different? well he's
0: given up a job right 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 he would be running for the senate and not running for Re-election. congress mm-hmm. and so he'd be giving up a congressional right. seat and maybe that's okay, maybe, I mean, the, the the problem in some ways over the last 20 years for te- Democrats has been that very few people are willing to take the risk of running. And so the result is that you get these department store mannequins and cardboard cutouts who are the party's nominees for big offices because nobody wants to risk the safety and comfort of their current gig. It may be that he's willing to do that, but he is going to have to do that if he does.
3: I feel like the Castros are kind of in um, Wendy Davis's position a few years ago, right after the filibuster. There was yeah. this such this aggressive push for her to run for governor that it almost felt like if she said no.
2: Right, she was going to be letting her party down. Exactly, and right. I think right. the Castros
3: are kind of in that point now, Well, too. speaking
0: of Wendy Davis, she is making this national uh, tour to promote... Her new organization and keeping herself in the circulation. Why, maybe you know, this this has come up previously. Why, what, maybe she's somebody yeah. who wins against Cruz?
2: Exactly. I mean, right? I think that they're still. And you know, she has
0: nothing. She has not as much, I would say, to <laughs> lose. Not she, nothing. What, but she, has not, not, she doesn't have a job. She has <laughs> not as much to lose as Castro does, in the sense that she wouldn't be. Right. She wouldn't be giving up a job. Right.
2: Didn't Joaquin Castro say – I mean, hasn't it been sort of a broader statement than Senate? Hasn't it sort of been – you know, I could I could conceivably think about running for Senate or for governor or for – I mean, he's sort of laid out the list.
3: Well, in Abby's story, he also mentioned the idea of Democrats need to back him. It can't just be he's at the t- top of the ticket – Castro's at the top of the ticket and they'll do all the work – the party has to develop more infrastructure and you know develop its grassroots. He said right. no, he was basically, and there's no magic candidate except maybe Matthew McConaughey. Right, right.
2: <laughs> and that's and that's the and he's pro- going to be busy teaching at UT this fall.
0: Exactly, don't, don't disrupt that. Right, right. Uh,
3: th- 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 and that in, so he'll um, run on education. Aman yeah. is actually,
0: I think, made the most important point so far, which is that it, even if somebody like Castro were to decide to run if you're up at the top of the ticket and you look down and there's nothing there, and this has right. been the predicament for a lot of people before, Many. If, if it's you at the top and then there's nobody else of any consequence running for any of the other offices, in some ways that's a really hard. Now, the, the, the flip side of that is that somebody has to jump off the ledge. Somebody has to do it.
2: Well, but Wendy Davis jumped off the ledge, I mean. But she
0: had Letitia. It kind of didn't get really good from there at that point. But <laughs> yeah. she had and then she had like, you know, but, but, but unless you actually have, as Mon says, a party infrastructure, a real slate of candidates—it's hard. Um, I think it's an interesting question to ask. you talked about the possibility of, well, maybe I'll run for governor.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, who at this point seems to you to have more vulnerabilities in an election next time, Abbott or Cruz?
2: Cruz certainly. Cruz, yeah. At least
3: now. I mean, Abbott just keeps the the his head down. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, a question from Facebook, Evan. I think you're going to be the only one qualified to answer this question. Unlikely. Uh, how have conventions changed over the course of your lifetime?
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I think to, to uh, Jim's point, I think they used to be really boring and scripted and predictable. Um, Jim's and- the
2: youngest one on the trip guest.
0: Well, but I think he's right about that. You know, you have to go back. People always cite 68, but 68 is the exception that proves the rule. Most of these conventions are orderly. And, you know, there have been moments, 1980 with Ted Kennedy and Jimmy Carter, in 1976 with Ronald Reagan and Gerald Ford, there was a little bit of drama. But these conventions have not really been worthy of coverage. And, in fact, the networks have cut back pretty significantly. The conventional networks cut back pretty significantly on their coverage of the conventions because there was really nothing to see. It turns out, actually, that the cable networks doing all-day coverage all four days Um, have really gotten something for that. You know, you think about the shouting from the floor, um, on with the rules fight at the Republican convention Monday morning. Yeah, first people are day of the tuning Republican in during the day, convention. which is
2: like unheard
0: the, of. The middle of the day stuff has actually gotten to be very interesting. In some ways, the stuff in the evening, you know, I thought, for instance, Cory Booker was more like Snorri Booker. You know, that was really <laughs> Elizabeth Warren seemed to be completely off. Michelle Obama was really great, I think, as advertised, gave a really terrific speech. But even some of the stuff in the evening has not been as interesting as some of the stuff during the day.
3: I thought Michelle Obama was amazing. She gave just incredible like that you 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 see people talking about her running now right. in the future which I don't even think people were doing in 08 or anything.
0: It was a great speech. And I thought last there night it to be bipartisan acknowledgment that it was a great speech. Mm-hmm.
3: I thought Sandra Bland's mom and all the other mothers were far more compelling than Bill Clinton last night.
2: Oh, I absolutely did, too. I actually did. I thought that was sort of a weird appearance and, yeah, a little uncomfortable and a little quiet. I don't know. He's getting rave reviews, but I actually was pretty bored. I,
1: I, I felt like he he eventually sort of came around to starting to get, get a little <laughs> bit more powerful, but but it was really meandering at the beginning, and you just wondered, like, where is he going with this mm-hmm.
2: well if you're just tuning in for this week's tribcast remember that you can uh shoot questions our way via facebook uh, we are here and ready to take them um we've talked about joaquin castro let's talk about julian for a minute how disappointed was he publicly or you know privately over getting passed over for hillary's veep slot
3: i think if the signs were clear for weeks or months that it wasn't going to be Pre- him. pre-hatch act the mm-hmm. signs yeah. were clear right
2: Pre, certainly pre-Hatch Act. And, and please explain what the Hatch Act stuff is for uh, the uninitiated. Oh, uh, uh,
3: someone had uh, filed a complaint against Castro, and it had been investigated and confirmed he had violated the Hatch Act, which was he had um, been giving an interview to Katie Couric, I think Yahoo, and um, uh, had was speaking as a HUD secretary and then switched to speaking as a Democrat for Clinton. And apparently you you have to be much more careful about doing that. You're not supposed to he, do it in the same interview. He thought he
0: was insulating himself. By saying something to the effect of right. taking off taking
3: my off HUD off my hat, hat. Yeah.
0: Right. and that apparently wasn't sufficient.
3: Yeah, he, he, right. it seems like he should have actually just said,
0: "No, let's do a whole new interview." Th-
2: th- do this, you think this, this is this disappointing election, for him? or that, look, yeah, yeah. sure,
0: it's disappointing because you know these things come around, right? they don't necessarily come around a second time. There was an awful lot of chatter leading into this election that he would be an ideal running mate for her and that he mitigated to the degree that she had anything that she needed to shore up. She was old, he was young. She was white, he was Hispanic. She had experience doing foreign policy. He had been a mayor and had much more domestic policy experience. You kind of go down a list and in some ways he was a perfect, too perfect compliment for her. The problem was that the world has gotten to be a lot more complicated. This election has become a, a much more foreign policy globally mm-hmm. focused election. She said herself, "I really need somebody who can demonstrate to the public that they can do the job on day one." And there became this conventional wisdom buildup up around Castro that he wasn't qualified, fair or unfair, that he wasn't qualified to be a president if something should happen to her. On you know, and he and he suddenly became the guy. Uh, that was his biggest liability, I think. Uh, the, this is pre mm-hmm. and there was also,
3: I think, a feeling that given Trump's rhetoric, um, a Hispanic running mate wasn't as essential to uh, right. Hispanic community was a white is, man, is largely frankly.
0: with her anyway, yeah. and so right, right. Her, her problem is is more um, uh, white voters uh, than non-white voters, and so the right. thought was put. And and you know, it's, it's had it. Uh, Tim Kaine, who was at the Tribune Festival last mm-hmm. year, nice guy. Uh, you know, interesting guy, speaks Spanish, you know, is um, uh, is generally well-liked, apparently, in the Senate. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have had good things to say about him. Nonetheless, is alienated, go back to some of these Bernie bros. Right, so on the who, trade Who don't standpoint. think he's sufficiently progressive. And mm-hmm. so that's the – but I think, you know, Castro was being attacked from the left also, if you remember. That was another problem that he had. I think yeah, it was absolutely. a problem he could have gotten over.
2: I think this may actually preserve preserve his chances, f- possibly for higher up. Op- I mean, I think if he has you know potential presidential ambition someday, it may be better that he's been passed over for the Veep slot.
0: I think the question is what happens to him now. That was in some ways the mm-hmm. context of the conversation that led to Joaquin Castro saying, "I may decide to run against Cruz." Was well, what are you all thinking? And and you know, he Secretary Castro's time in Washington theoretically comes to an end at the end of this term, unless.
1: Hillary Hillary decides to appoint him
0: something else in the cabinet, or he he goes into the DNC as the chair, which he's now said he doesn't want to do. He basically finds himself in the same situation he was in, and he alluded to this the other day. He had been on the council in San Antonio. He ran for mayor. He finished first in the first round against Phil Hardberger, but then he got into a runoff and he lost. He was suddenly out of office. He cooled his heels in a law firm, came back around four years later, and he ran again, and he won. And so conceivably he goes out of government now for a few years, does something else, and whether it's in two years or four years or whatever else, he thinks, I'm going to come back around.
2: That DNC job is probably thankless, right? I mean he looks at that and thinks, like, this is a shit show. There's no way I want to touch that. Well, it's if I
3: mean, especially going in now, if anything bad happens, if the you Democrats- you know your emails aren't secure, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if, if Hillary yeah, right. loses or if Democrats don't do as well as expected in congressional seats, he takes all the blame.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, and that's for if you have aspirations for higher office, you know, that's a no-go. Then, mm-hmm. so. All right, well, let's switch gears and talk about the um, big voter ID ruling in Texas last week. Jim, walk us through what did a federal appeals court find about Texas' very strict rules?
1: Sure. The uh, Fifth Circuit, which uh, we all know is uh, among the most conservative uh, appellate courts in the nation, um, found that the Texas voter ID law um, is discriminatory. Um, it, it did not rule on whether uh, lawmakers intended to discriminate, uh, but basically it said that uh, the rules um, as they stand right now um, cannot... Um, they, well, they cannot stand for for the coming elections, so um, it's uh, instructed a, a lower court to um, um, figure out how to how Texas should redraw these rules temporarily uh, for the upcoming elections, and and we're actually seeing um, there's a um, HD one twenty um, uh, special runoff election right now, and uh, so the court had to really quickly um, approve a remedy for this that. This is. Um this is, um, San Antonio, McCle- Ruth Ruth, Ruth, McClendon Ruth McClendon mm-hmm. seat. Yeah. Um, Right, which uh, early voting actually just started on Monday for that. Um, took six people voted. So, loaded. so, <laughs> so, like so uh, Texas had to strike a deal with uh, opponents of the uh, of the ID law to basically allow you know anyone who who came to the polls without the w- one of seven forms of ID mentioned the law to be able to cast a provisional ballot and and sit, and then sign an affidavit. Who they are and and why and and saying that they, um, you know, didn't have access to this ID,
3: which is what you you used to be able to do before voter ID.
1: Right, right, yeah, yeah, and um, and you know one of the things you, you, you can bring, you can bring uh, your registration card, um or you know a, a bit. A, a bill or other g- like government a utility, document utility, bill. Bill. Ut- utility bill with your address, and, and even if you don't have that, um, you you can um, just put your um, social sec- uh, la- last uh, digits of the social security number yeah. uh, on the form. Sign your. Um, F- if name. I if I could wave a wand, I would like to have data that showed what
0: potential voter turnout implications would be in three of the very close races and three of the only close races on the ballot in November in which you have high non-white uh prospective turnout so that would be uh, uh, perez peña and cortez galindo in houston and san antonio in the legislature and gallego heard in Congress, right. because you think if you think about the areas of the state in which this is a likely issue, it may be in those kinds of districts, and those happen to be close races in a presidential year.
1: And, and that's the one thing. I mean, all the litigation that's taken place on this—it's been really hard to say, you know, how elections would have changed um, if, if the law hadn't been in place. But there was a really interesting study uh, as a year or two ago from Rice. They looked at CD twenty-three uh, Hertz. Um, district. And, and they found that actually some of the rhetoric about how strict Texas voter ID law, some of the rhetoric that, that, that Democrats put out, may have actually discouraged um, some of their voters to turn out at the polls. Um, and, and that was a really close race. Um, they were saying that um, some, some voters in surveys who, who did not go to the polls said they did not because they didn't have the ID. But then when they asked what types of ID they had, they actually had the proper ID. Huh. Um, so all of this stuff is really complicated. And there aren't great studies on this, but it'll be kind of interesting to see how Democrats frame the ruling. I mean, so far they're kind of proclaiming it as a victory and making it easier to vote. So that might help drive turnout if people, even if they don't understand what it all means, will just go out to the polls and Mm -hmm. and think that they can.
3: I'd imagine there are a lot of people who haven't paid too much attention to this, who hear voter ID and think, I need a special voter ID and don't realize a driver's license works.
2: It's sufficient. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have a question from Facebook. Zelma Saseda asks, so what credentials do you think will be necessary when going to the polls in the fall? So we know what the court has done for this, you know, short right. ter- in the short term. And it's up to them, right? It's not up to the legislature right now?
1: R- right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all up to the court. And it's it's honestly really hard to know, although, you know, some people are looking at this um, short-term San Antonio fix and thinking this could be a sign of what's to come. It could be you, you, you sign an affidavit, cast a provisional ballot, um, and then, as long as there's nothing fishy about the information you leave, then then you're. Again, counts. you go you're basically as the says. You're basically going back to the way it was before. Right. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: I mean, what does this say for Texas? This is one of the most conservative courts, and and this is obviously a big strike against GOP lawmakers. I mean, are they? They've counted. On, haven't they? Sort of counted on the Fifth Circuit as their sort of ally, and what does this mean for you know future legislation?
1: I mean, I think it just really means they they have to be careful and they have to do their homework. I mean, the the Fifth Circuit in in this um, really long ruling pointed out the fact that um, legislative council or, or actually, I think it was uh, Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst at the time, the council had had said he had sent out the information that says you know this block of voters will be. Um, discriminated against and disproportionately affected, and they went ahead and uh, passed the law anyway. And, and so I think they have to really be careful, I mean, about their emails even uh, between um, uh, members, but um, just to, to make sure that they're justifying some of these laws that they pass.
3: So next session you're gonna have lawmakers trying to figure out how to regulate abortion and do voter ID in light of these court rulings that, yeah. said, Probably. Right. that said Texas in, with, went with
0: too far. gay marriages, chocolate sprinkles on the sunday <laughs> right, right? We'll Exactly. Just, let, let's figure out how we can come back in legislatively and undo or mitigated at least a whole bunch of the things that the courts did to us.
2: I mean, do they care that they're? I mean, I guess that's the question: Is like, do they care that they are this legislation that they're passing is getting overturned? You know, sort of one after the other. Or is it worth it to tie it up for as long as it's tied up? Is it worth it to pay to spend the taxpayer dollars? You know, fighting these things in court? You know, well,
0: obviously they think it is worth the taxpayer dollars. That doesn't seem to be a particular concern. Mm-hmm. Look, we you haven't mentioned it, but we have a, an update of a story on our website mm-hmm. this week that looks at the lawsuits that the state has filed against the federal government. And, you know, our one loss record is is kind of like, you know, the, the old Cubs. Right. <laughs> I got to say the old Cubs. Uh, but I mean, really, it's nothing to be too braggy about. We haven't done so well as a state in terms of our actions against the federal government. But you could argue, as you do, that on the other hand, what we're doing is delaying as long as possible right. the implications of
1: of, of things that we don't like by tying it up in court. Yeah. Right. And, and a lot of yeah. times when we ask uh, the AG's office, you know, how, how they justify spending this money, they say, oh, you know, we spent um, if it's an EPA regulation we're challenging, oh, we, we, we've we saved all this money because this rule you know, took years to come into effect or something along those right.
2: lines. Right, or we've saved X number of lives because these abortion regulations took effect for, you know, were in place for X number of months. You know, it might help
3: in the short term politically to be fighting these things in court, but you know, in the history books, when you're looking at these Texas lawmakers and what they got done, if you know, issue after issue they they fought the courts and eventually lost. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes you wonder what that le- what legacy that leaves.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, one more topic I want to just touch on, and that is that um, Ken Paxton. Uh, we there was another headline this week about the attorney general, basically that um, I guess $100,000 of the funding that has come in for him for his legal defense comes from uh, who? Evan
0: comes from uh, somebody who had uh, it's it's a controversial
1: donor who was ultimately fined right? James, right. James Webb right James um, Webb who yeah. runs a medical imaging company
2: um, they and, were tied up in what in Medicaid fraud allegations right, right? yeah
1: right they signed a 3.5 million dollar settlement with um, the the federal government but also Ken Paxton's office had some role, or at least a, a, a symbolic role, in, in in negotiating that. Although the the,
0: pro- mm-hmm. the problem with this is not necessarily Paxton, because what Paxton did in taking this contribution, as we and others have written, is entirely consistent with the way the law is right. Right. Now. right. <laughs> the problem is not Paxton. The problem is with the law and the appearance that you're taking campaign contributions from people who have business before business you- that you're tied before. And yeah. by the way, this is the same argument made against judges it's the same argument made and has been made in the context of the sunset review of the railroad commission right mm-hmm. well we shouldn't have people with contested cases before the railroad commission or people in the you know in the comptroller's world people with tax cases that are in in, con- in conflict with the comptroller's office or in, con- you know, in some discussions well should the people comptroller be able to take on this comes up every election cycle and it's, inter- it's at least we're consistent and that anybody gets the Wild West. It's frontier campaign finance.
2: It's the Wild West, but don't you think that for Ken Paxton in this particular moment in time when he is so under scrutiny, so under the gun, that he'd be a little more careful about really? who he's taking money from? Really? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I, I should never be surprised. But.
0: I think I think we're in an era of no shame, and I don't mean that specifically related to the attorney general. I mean it related to all people who run for office mm-hmm. and have to raise money. If the law permits them to raise money from people who, to the average person, it
1: seems a little weird that you would take. This is the way the law is. And per- I guess this this case is really expensive for him. I mean, there's he's he's filed so many appeals and and, and lost so far. I mean, the legal bills really high, and if you can't accept normal donations i guess he'll look at uh, what's legal under the law and, and again this this loophole or not loophole this this exemption that he's claiming is like the family friend exemption so he's saying that that james webb was a family friend qualifies Somebody who knew him in yeah. advance mm-hmm. of this all right
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yep uh, a couple questions from facebook that have come in uh, one of them just touching on the voter id issue philip boutwell asks are there that many cases of voter fraud that justify voter id this is the uh, giant question mark right and
1: and, and, and how how many cases of voter fraud um, you know justifies the voter ID? I mean that's a subjective question. Well and that's um, in person voter fraud is uh, right. and and that's a big difference. Um, right, we, because mail ballot fraud is one uh, thing, in person right, voter fraud is um, not. We, we know you know Governor Abbott has called voter fraud rampant um, and said that, you know, um, whatever voter fraud in the state uh, justifies um, the ID law. But there really have only been a handful of in-person voter fraud um, cases that have um, really withstood scrutiny. Right, um, but of course,
0: this week we had this news about the Byron Cook, Will McNutt race. Right, and that, that- and 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 you had what
1: Greg was that Abbott that news tell us a certain number of those votes apparently are now questionable there were, there are were more mm. votes counted i believe than voters who turned out at the polls there's poll- something strange more, about more than a full 1200 right. votes um,
0: and and Greg Abbott tweeted from his right. campaign account not the governor's mm-hmm. account Greg Abbott tweeted uh, this week essentially aha voter right fraud. this proves that we have voter fraud yeah. in the state of Texas
1: e- even though you know experts who looked at that case you know it's it's still not clear all the circumstances surrounding it, but it does not look like that was a case where there was in-person voter fraud. It it may have been that um, some ballots were were double counted. And to your
0: point, or to what Mons alluded to, is that in fact, the voter ID law would not have necessarily prevented many of the things that are alleged to be voter fraud when people make an argument, voter fraud requires voter ID.
1: Right, Um, and in the Fifth Circuit's decision, I mean, they cited um, over the past decade before um, the 2011 law was passed, there had only been two convictions of uh, in-person voter fraud in, in the state of Texas. And that was in a period when, when 20 million votes had been cast. So this is something that you know supporters of, of the voter ID legislation do. They say, here was he, he, here was some potential voter fraud. Aren't we glad that we have these regulations? But they don't point out that these regulations apply only to this specific yeah. type mm-hmm. of uh, voter fraud.
2: All right, well, that's all the time we have. If you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. You can also sign up for Tribcast alerts at texastribune.org slash tribcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. And on behalf of Evan, Jim, Amon, and our producers, Todd and Bobby and Rodney. Wow, we've got a lot of them today. It's to
0: be like a pickup basketball game. <laughs>
2: exactly. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas
3: talking. Texas talking. Texas talk-
2: lady is just a terrible word lady is a bad word yeah